Good morning. Happy New Year. How we doing? Kids, thank you for being in here. You guys can head on back to your class with Mr. Corwin and Miss Katrina. Thank you guys so much. Welcome to Centennial Church. Uh, great to have you with us this morning. Uh, my name is Ross, and uh, it's a great uh, new year. And we're going to talk a little bit about the new year in a moment. But as we uh, transition to do that, before I need to, uh, for our members and regular attenders, need to just kind of do a couple family business items here just to bring you up to date on things. Um, first one being uh, a couple months ago, you were here, if you were here or you get our e-news, you know that uh, Jay Wheeland has been uh, planning to make a transition out of Centennial Church and out of children's ministry. Jay has been our children and groups director for the last two years. And uh, Jay was in the process of uh, interviewing with another church. That process uh, stopped. And uh, in the meantime, we have been searching for someone to be an interim children's director, as we've known Jay is, is transitioning. We have not yet found that person. We're still looking. Uh, but in the meantime, what we've done is we've asked Jay to stay and extend his time with us here at Centennial. And Jay has uh, agreed to do that. So Jay's going to continue in uh, a capacity here with us as Director of Children's Ministry uh, through February, okay, which this year actually is February 29 for those of you that are leap year babies. Um, so I just wanted to bring you, that's why you, some of you have thought, hey, I thought Jay's last uh, days with us were 2019. He's here this morning. What gives? Um, that's what gives. Life changes and flexes, and we uh, wanted to be able to uh, do that for Jay and, and, uh, and Carolina and their family, so they will be here with us through February, continuing to lead our children's ministry. Another uh, business item, just to bring you up to speed on and praise God about. Um, at the end of the last quarter of 2019, just in terms of our finances and giving as a church, uh, the last quarter we've kind of been averaging monthly twenty to $30,000 in giving around here. Uh, which is lower than years past. And as we went into the last month of the fiscal year, which is a calendar year for us, December, uh, those of us in leadership, our elders, and some of us uh, with uh, not as much faith, uh, faith as we wish we had, we're kind of hoping, you know, we'd get fifty or $60,000 that last month of 2019. And I am so excited to share with you this morning that we surpassed that. And we uh, received in December just under $90,000 in giving. So, yeah, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord and thank you uh, for giving, for stepping up. And so that really helps us uh, end the, the year in a much better place than we thought we were going to. So praise the Lord for that. Okay? We need to praise the Lord for that. Let me, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call on Bob here since he's smiling over there. Bob, Bob I'm going to bring you the microphone in just a second to, to praise God for that and just to prepare our hearts for the message this morning. So uh, one other business item, and this is, this is uh, not as important, but uh, we start a new series today. And one thing that we don't say much around here is that on our app, we have a Centennial Church app and encourage you to download that so you know what's going on around here. Um, but on our app, for those of you that are note takers, uh, there is a place on that app, if you go to the sermons tab and just 
click on sermons and then just click on the newest tab there for our new sermon series, you'll bring up the current message and then on there, there's a place for you to take notes, okay? I don't know if anybody uses that, okay? I do them every week uh, and it's kind of just like sending it into the internet space or something, and I don't know if anybody uses it. So I'm reminding you this morning as we start this new series, uh, if you are a note taker and you like to do that electronically, that's there on the app every week, okay? And it also has some discussion questions for your community group or even uh, as a couple or as a family if you want to talk a little bit more about what uh, you heard in the message, okay? So that stuff is there for you. So uh, Doug is looking at me like I look at it every week, Ross. I faithfully read that and uh, take notes on that thing. So anyway, that's uh, another keep a piece of uh, housekeeping and business there for you. So um, Bob Cox, uh, would you just go before the Lord and thank him for the provision and just uh, as we open up his word. Heavenly we come to you with gratitude and thanks for Jesus for the privilege of coming into your presence. Thank you for your great mercies, Lord. We thank you for your grace that exceeds our sin. We thank you for the righteous standing that we have because of Jesus. And Lord, we want to give you praise for your faithful provision for Centennial Church and for the work that you have going on here. We thank you, Father, that you use us in whatever capacity that you've called us in that we can be faithful servants of yours and know that your kingdom could be furthered just by being obedient. So thank you, Father. Pray for Ross now, and I pray for our hearts, that we would hear your word and that Ross would speak um, through the power of your spirit. Speak to our hearts and transform us, Father. Not, let us not just be informed, but let us be transformed and changed and be more like Jesus in 2020 than we were in 2019. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Bob. Appreciate that. I'm going to stay down here, okay? Is that all right? Am I tall enough in 2020? Probably not, but I'm going to do it anyway, okay? Hey, uh, when I'm not uh, reading things that relate to theology and the Bible and Scripture and stuff like that, I'm a bit of a history buff, and I love particularly presidential history. And I even uh, picked up a book this weekend that uh, will bore most of you, but it's called 1960. And it's about the fact that in 1960, LBJ, JFK, and Richard Nixon all ran for president that year. And... Uh, JFK ended up beating LBJ in the primaries and then became his vice president, of course. But then Richard Nixon had been vice president and then becomes president later, obviously. But that was a pivotal year for those men, all of them who would eventually be presidents. And I say that because uh, there was another time when we actually had three people running for president in my lifetime. And that was back, well, in beyond just the primaries, I mean. But that was back in 1992, and Republicans are still mad about this. And I'm not going to get into politics today, by the way, uh, if you're starting to get nervous. Uh, some of you would like me to do that, I think, but I'm not going to do that. Uh, so just everybody relax, okay? Uh, but in 1992, Republicans are still mad because Ross Perot lost the election for George Bush Sr., okay? Because we had three candidates running that year. Richard is smiling so big 
I don't know what is going, what he's thinking, but I haven't, I have some clue. Uh, and uh, Ross Perot, Bill Clinton, and George Bush Sr. ran. And Ross Perot was kind of, you know, this, this guy that was kind of out of left field doing his little infomercials and stuff. And uh, the, the thing about Ross Perot is not only was he an outsider, but he had a vice presidential candidate named anyone? Incorrect. Uh, a guy no one had heard of, and you don't remember to this day, but his, his name... His vice, Ross Perot's vice presidential candidate was a guy named Admiral James Stockdale. Do some of you remember this now? And no one, what's that? No, you're incorrect. Get your phone out and look it up. 1992, Ross Perot, Stockdale, and Perot, okay? And uh, this is a long explanation for a really short line, okay? So here it is. But no one knew... James Stockdale. He had been a uh, prisoner of war hero, decorated admiral in the Navy. But the night of the vice, first vice presidential debate, I guess they only did one, but the night of the vice presidential debate, the cameras go on Admiral James Stockdale, and the first words out of his mouth were this. Who am I? Why am I here? And he was right. All of America was looking at this guy that they had never heard of, had no political background, only military background, and said, who are you? Why are you here? And he went on to not answer those questions. But here's why I bring that up. Those are two of the most basic questions any person or any organization or church could ask. Who am I and why am I here? Who am I and why am I here? And I want us to spend some time in January and probably in February thinking about those two questions. Who are we? Who are we becoming? Here we are, this little church in Frisco, and I tell my friends sometimes, uh, other guys in ministry and other pastors, I, I sometimes say this tongue-in-cheek, but I say we're a little mini-church in the world of mega-churches. Just this little body of people in Frisco, Texas, where there's lots of choices and lots of big mega-churches and even giga churches now. Terra churches, can I say that? Terabyte. It's about the extent of my computer knowledge. Um, but why are we here? And do we even need to be here? Why do we exist? What are we attempting? And a new year is a good time to do that. Because in a new year, you're thinking about resolutions, there's a little bit of new energy, there's some clarity, and we felt like this is a good time to talk about who we are becoming. And uh, your elders, we got some time away uh, back in December to really pray together and try to converse together and really think about in this year, what, what is God asking of us? What is uh, kind of our North Star? What are... What is our foundation? Who are we becoming? 
Um, because let's, let's be honest, okay? Those of you that are uh, members of Centennial, we have lots of guests with us this morning. Glad that you're here. We're opening the window here into Centennial Church. But let me be honest, we've had a, pa- we've had a difficult last year in 2019. In fact, we've had a couple difficult years here the last few years. And sometimes when that happens, uh, when you have church turmoil, transition, conflict, things like that, it really can throw you off your game, whether it's a church or an organization or whatever. You go through turmoil in a family, and you just kind of need to come back to the basics. And so that's what we're going to kind of do for these next weeks. And I'm not exactly sure how many weeks it's going to be. But we're going to ask those questions uh, as we look into God's Word. Who are we? And why are we here? Okay? So, to answer that question, and one thing that just was loud and clear as we discussed as elders uh, going forward, one thing that was loud and clear was the passage that I want to take us to this morning. First passage I want to take us to is Matthew 28. Okay, so go ahead and open your Bibles if you have one, or it'll be on the screen if you don't have one. Matthew chapter 28, and we're going to read verses 16 through 20 there. And uh, Ron, as he did the as it did the announcements earlier, he totally just jumbled what I was going to talk about today. He did not have any idea. He got mixed up about the order of what we're doing. So uh, any of you that were listening to him earlier, which is probably just a couple of you, uh, just ignore that, okay? Because we're not, we're going to get to the great commandment in a minute, but we're going to start here with another great. Does anybody know what this little passage of scripture is typically called? The Great Commission, yes, thank you. You get free coffee afterwards, okay? Congratulations, the big winner. So let me uh, read verses 16 through 20, okay, and then uh, pull out the main, the main point here. In fact, Ron, I wasn't here last week, but Ron read this passage to us just last week also. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, in your Bibles, as it is in my Bibles, can't tell this on the screen, the disadvantage of that, but if you're looking in your Bible, even if it's on your phone, you realize that these are the last words of Matthew's gospel. And these are actually some of the last words of Jesus before he would ascend back to the Father he gives this great commission. And it's the great Baptist preacher of the 19th century, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who said this. He said, Jesus' last words should be our first concern. Jesus' last words should be our first concern. And these are some of Jesus' last words, then to the 11 and now to us, however many of us are gathered here 
at Centennial this morning. So let me ask you a question, and we'll be, I like to engage, uh, so feel free to speak up if you would like to, but let me ask you this question. What's the main command? What's the main imperative in this passage? Now, the answer's up there. Eric, you cheated. The main commandment right there, highlight, bolded and underlined, and it's, it's more clear in the original language, the main command of this passage is make disciples. It's not go, it's not baptize, it's not teach, although those are important, but the main emphasis of this passage, the main emphasis of Jesus' words here are go and make disciples. These are his last words. This is his great commission. This is what he wants us to do. Make disciples. So question number two, that's the main commandment. Question number two is, okay, what's a disciple, right? So someone tell me, what is a disciple? The answer will not be on the screen. A disciple is a student. Thank you, sir. What's... What's your name? Mike, nice to meet you. Ross, thank you. It's a student. Good. Did uh, some of did all of you hear that, Mike? As basically a student, as someone who's willing to learn, that's a great way to say it. I mean, a disciple, particularly in the first century in the Jewish culture, you had to put yourself under a rabbi. You had to be willing to learn. And so disciple, not just uh, used of Jesus' students, but used of students of all different rabbis and in various contexts, not just in religious contexts, but a disciple is a student. Disciple is a learner. And notice, he didn't instruct his followers here to go and make converts, okay? He didn't just say, just go and get some some fans. He said, go and get some learners. Go and get some followers. Go and get some students. Make disciples. So our task at Centennial Church, okay, and this is not unique to us. This should be what all churches are about, our primary task is to make disciples, to make learners, to make students, not just to make converts, get people saved from the fires of hell and go on about your suburban North Texas lifestyle like everyone else, but be a student, be a learner, follow this rabbi. In fact, there was a there was an emphasis back in Jesus' day that said that a uh, A disciple is one covered with the dust of the rabbi's sandals. A disciple is one who's covered with it. He's following closely after the rabbi and the dusty roads, and he's kicking up dust, and it's getting in the face of his disciples. Others others would say that a disciple is one who sits at the feet of the teacher, to learn. And in the case of the disciples of Jesus, not only to learn, 
but to worship at the feet of the rabbi. We're to make disciples. We're to help other people. We're to help ourselves and we're to help other people become learners and students of Jesus. And there's discipline involved in that. And it's a long obedience in the same direction. It's, it's getting our face dusty enough by being close enough to the rabbi. Our main objective as a church is to make disciples. To help the current disciples that we have grow up and be better students, mature learners and pupils of the master, and to gain more disciples. To share the good news and to create and make more disciples. That's our number one priority. And the way that we've said that historically, I think since 2016, is by this mission statement that we have, which doesn't say make disciples, but it says center lives on Jesus Christ. Just another way of saying make disciples. Help people sit at the feet of Jesus and have their life centered not on entertainment, not on stuff, not on wealth accumulation, not on career status or success, not upon sports achievement for our kids, but to be centered on Jesus Christ. That's the main objective. As a church, we want to make disciples of Jesus. And a disciple is a learner. A disciple is a student. But I want to define it a little bit further, okay? And we're going to roll this out each week, okay? So here's the problem with being a preacher. You only get to preach one sermon at a time. You can't pack it all in there, okay? So more perhaps than any other sermon, if you're gone next week, I want you to tune in and I want you to listen online on the podcast or whatever afterwards, okay? We don't have it live streamed, but download it, okay? Re- listen to it because I really want our whole body to follow along here as we kind of unroll, again, who we are, what we're about, why we exist, okay? So we've established that a disciple is a learner, is a student, it's not, one, not, it's not just people that are entertained weekly. It's not just people that are converted. It's not just people that go to church, you know, regularly or even somewhat regularly or whatever. They're not just church attenders, but they are disciples. They are followers of Jesus. They're students. But I wanted to find it one level further this morning by taking us to that passage that Ron did mention Okay, so go back in the Gospel of Matthew to chapter 22, okay? Chapter 22, where Jesus gives us the defining marks of a disciple, I think. Matthew 22, and uh, let's see, where do I start on the slides here? Matthew 22, like verse 34, I think. So Matthew 22, uh, I'll read beginning of verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they're trying to test Jesus in this whole chapter here. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. 
And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Wouldn't you know it'd come from the lawyer? And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. To test him. Verse 36, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Verse 37, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now, they asked Jesus, this attorney asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And what does Jesus do? He says, here's the greatest commandment. Oh, and by the way, I can't just give you one. Let me give you the second one also. But Jesus is the great simplifier. And of all the 613 laws that the teachers and the rabbis had in the Old Testament, and this guy comes and says, boil it down for us. Just give us the tweet, Jesus. Give us the nugget. And Jesus says, here it is. Love the Lord your God with everything you have, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Oh, and then, by the way, there's a second one that I just got to say, and that's love your neighbor as yourself. So what is a disciple? Oh, we believe that a disciple is a student, a disciple is a learner, someone that sits at the feet of the teacher, but the disciple also, a disciple of Jesus, is someone right here that's pursuing the greatest commandment that Jesus says, which is to love God and love others. That's the greatest thing that he says that we can do is be people that love him and love other people. That's the greatest. If you're a college football player, what's the greatest award that you can be given in college football? Individually, the Heisman Trophy, right? Everybody knows the Heisman. And we watched someone get the Heisman Trophy a few weeks ago. If you didn't get to see that presentation, it is pretty darn inspiring. But everybody knows, yeah, it was. It's pretty inspiring. Even though it's a guy from LSU, it's pretty inspiring. I got to admit it. I see we're talking politics and sports here. Bad idea, Ross. But you know that the greatest college athlete is given this greatest award, which is the Heisman Trophy. And I won't strike the pose today, okay? The Heisman pose. Thank you, Michael. Halfway there. If you're the greatest athlete in another sport, you might win an Olympic medal, right? If you're a great company, you might be named in the Fortune 500 or something, something like that. I don't know how they really rank in terms of size and profit and all that stuff. If you're a great actor or actress, you might be given an Academy Award or a Grammy, I guess. Is it the same thing? Anyway, you get one of those awards. This is the great, no, it's not the same thing. Okay. Uh, proud to say, I don't know. But it's the greatest. And Jesus here is saying the greatest, the greatest thing you can be about 
is loving me, is loving God and loving other people. So we want to be learners of Jesus. And we don't want to be learners of Jesus. We want to be lovers of God. There's a lot of people driving around North Texas with a fish or some other bumper sticker on their car and they're in church fairly regularly and they're lousy at loving. Not just because they pull in front of me on the highway, okay? But the, the, the signs of a disciple are love for God and love for others. Are we making those types of people? Great, great point, Mike. And I, that's kind of what I meant. Are we those kinds of people? Are, are we making one another those types of disciples who love God and love others? And then, as we are transformed... Are we making others who love God and love others? Because Jesus seems to say that's the most important thing. Because there's, there's following Jesus and then there's pseudo-Christianity. There's kind of being in the ballpark but not really hitting the ball. And so sometimes I think it's, it's, it's helpful for us to clarify. Sometimes we learn better by contrast, at least I do from contrast. And so if we're talking about being a follower of Jesus, if we're talking about loving God, let's talk about what that doesn't mean, okay? First of all, it doesn't just mean activism, okay? Loving God is not just activism, and by that I mean just doing stuff, going to church, being active, participating in stuff. Eric, the second one would be not just activism, but biblicism. Like, we love the scriptures around here. And we teach from the scriptures. And we have lots of Bible studies and people getting in the word of God. But guess what? Being biblically smart is not the end-all, be-all. The end-all, be-all is loving God and loving other people. So in our love for the Bible, are we becoming lovers of God? Are we making lovers of God and lovers of people? Are we, are we being changed to be transformed, to be like Jesus as we're following him? It's not just about activism. It's not just about being busy and serving, you know, in the kids' ministry or greeting people or, you know, serving the poor or just being active. That's not what Jesus has called us to. A lot of us are, we're really active. Or for me, we know a lot of the Bible, but do I love God? Do I love God or am I just doing some stuff serving, filling my head with knowledge as just a kind of Bible guy. And it's also not moralism. 
It's not just trying to be better than other people. It's not just about good works. Those things are kind of in the ballpark. Like, if you're following Jesus, there is some activity that we're going to do, that we're going to be about. But that's not the greatest thing, right? The greatest is loving God and loving others. We're going to love his word, but it's not just about being Bible smart. It's about the Bible's not the end, right? The Bible is the means to help us accomplish the end, right? Does that make sense? And it's just not about being moral people. I mean, let's face it. Some of us have really messed up and continue to kind of mess up. I was so encouraged by what Garrett said as he did the call to worship of Ephesians 2. We're not adequate in ourselves. None of us are worthy. But it's the blood of Jesus that makes us worthy. So being a Christian is not being holier than thou. It's not being just someone that is squeaky clean. It's about being a lover of God and a lover of others. Ross, I can't, you're the pastor. I can't make disciples. That's like a, that's like a church thing. That's like a preacher thing. No, that's an everybody thing. Jesus told his followers, go and make disciples. And what do you teach them? What do you teach them to obey? Everything that I've told you. So it makes sense that if these 11 guys are going to make disciples, to teach them everything that I've told you, then it makes sense that those two, that those guys also are supposed to go and make disciples. If, they, if we're supposed to teach them everything that he said, then the cycle just kind of continues, right? To observe everything I've commanded you, even the command to go and make disciples. So discipleship is not just the job of the the pastors or the elders or the staff people or whatever, but it's the job of every disciple to make other disciples. So Paul will say it like this, 2 Timothy 2.2. I think we have this one. Timothy, uh, Paul says to Timothy, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So there's this multiplication happening or that's supposed to happen. Oh, Ross, I can't do that. That's, that's for the professional. Yes, you can. You can be a part of helping disciple other people, whether it's kids in this church, whether it's someone you work with, whether it's your own kids. As, as a parent, we are called to disciple our kids, to teach them, to instruct them in the faith. And guess what? If we're not making disciples of them, they're, mean, they're being made disciples of something, of someone. If they're not becoming followers of Jesus, they're, become, they're becoming followers of something. The world is trying to disciple our kids. And there's a track and there's a pattern and there's an end goal that they want. That the culture or whoever their friends are, whatever their the entertainment is, is trying to disciple our kids. This is, this is not one person's job. This is not one pastor's job. This is not just a few people's job. This is all of our jobs 
to make disciples, to pass on what we've heard, to pass on what we know to be the truth, to pass on what we've learned as we've sat at the feet of Jesus. And you can do that whether you've known Jesus one day and just kind of know the story of the gospel or whether you've known Jesus for 50 years now. The question is, are we doing it? Are we making disciples? And are we making disciples who make disciples? So who are we becoming? We are becoming disciples. We're becoming followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus. But even more than that, we're taking it to the next level is we're becoming disciples who make disciples. We're multiplying the faith. We're passing on the faith. That's what we, that's what we wanna be about as a church. Life on life discipleship. Reaching other people, helping one another to grow as disciples. That's our number one call. That's the great commission. And a disciple is someone who embodies the great commandment. Amen? So here's the question this morning, the questions this morning, okay? Are you a disciple of Jesus? Have you begun to, have you begun to follow him? Have you accepted Jesus not just as a religious figure or someone that you think about on Sunday morning, but have you accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? Are you wanting to follow him and, and, and no one else? Are you a disciple of Jesus? And if you're not, man, the new year, January 5th, this is a time to do it. And say, Jesus, I wanna follow you. Not just be a convert, not, not just be a church attender, not just be someone who uses your name or praise occasionally, but I want to be a learner. I want to be a follower of you. And then two other questions. Who's discipling you? Who's discipling you? Now, we're going to talk more about what discipleship means and looks like in weeks ahead, okay? This isn't, this is one sermon, okay? And while it's simple, it has some layers to it also, Okay? And discipleship isn't just one-on-one, but we ought to all be in environments and we ought to all be in relationships where there's someone that's intentionally helping us grow in our faith, okay? And I'm just wondering, do you have anyone that you're intentionally looking to to help disciple you, okay? So there's a guy in my life who's walked a lot longer than I have in following Jesus and has even shared some ministry responsibility that I have looked to and will continue to look to to help disciple me as a follower of Jesus and as a pastor. And then third question, are you a disciple? Who is discipling you? And then third question, who are you discipling? Oh, I can't do that. Begin to pray that God would put someone on your heart. Continue to come, help us, or come to us and say, help me learn how to be 
a disciple maker of others? Is there anyone that you're pouring your life into? And let me tell you a great way to start. The, the folks that teach our kids weekly, they learn every week more than the kids that they teach because they have to pass it on, they have to teach it. And you may feel insecure about that, but that's a, that's a great way to, to be discipled yourself and to disciple others. And maybe you don't have anyone that comes to mind. If you have kids, you ought to be thinking about your kids, okay? And people you work with or neighbors that you just wanna to begin to build a relationship and just say, hey, could we, could we study the Gospel of John together? Could we, oh, I, I could never do that. Well, we wanna help you begin to do that because that's the great commission. That's the bottom line. That's the main thing. We're becoming disciples and we're becoming disciples who make disciples. Let's do that. Let's not just do church, sing songs, give an hour and 15 minutes a week. Let's not just be casual, passive, occasional. Let's do that. And I'm preaching to myself. I'm preaching to myself too. There's a lot of other things to do as a pastor than disciple people, like run a church. But that's not making disciples. Let's make disciples. Let's be disciples who make other disciples. You pray with me. Father God, sometimes we uh, we just need a reboot and realign and refocus. I know I need that, God. I need that right now. If our church needs that. We could do a lot of things, but if we don't make disciples, what are we doing? God, would you give us courage to want to do this, to want to want to make disciples and to grow as disciples ourselves? Help us, God, by your Holy Spirit.